Chapter Twenty Nine of the Prairie by James Fenimore Cooper. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by William Peck. If that shepherd be not in hand fast, let him fly. The curses he shall have, the tortures he shall feel, will break the back of man, the heart of monster. Shakespeare. It will readily be seen that the event just related was attended by an extraordinary sensation among the Sioux. In leading the hunters of the band back to the encampment, their chief had neglected none of the customary precautions of Indian prudence, in order that his trail might escape the eyes of his enemies. It would seem, however, that the Pawnees had not only made the dangerous discovery, but had managed with great art to draw nigh the place, by the only side on which it was thought unnecessary to guard the approaches, with the usual line of sentinels. The latter, who were scattered along the different eminences which lay in the rear of the lodges, were among the last to be apprised of the danger. In such a crisis there was little time for deliberation. It was by exhibiting the force of his character in scenes of similar difficulty, that Matori had obtained and strengthened his ascendancy among his people, nor did he seem likely to lose it by the manifestation of any indecision on the present occasion. In the midst of the screams of the young, the shrieks of the women, and the wild howlings of the crones, which were sufficient of themselves to have created a chaos in the thoughts of one less accustomed to act in emergencies, he promptly asserted his authority, issuing his orders with the coolness of a veteran. While the warriors were arming, the boys were dispatched to the bottom for the horses. The tents were hastily struck by the women, and disposed of on such of the beasts are were not deemed fit to be trusted in combat. The infants were cast upon the backs of their mothers, and those children, who were of a size to march, were driven to the rear, like a herd of less reasoning animals. Though these several movements were made amid outcries, and a clamor that likened the place to another babel, they were executed with incredible alacrity and intelligence. In the meantime, Matori neglected no duty that belonged to his responsible station. From the elevation on which he stood, he could command a perfect view of the force and evolutions of the hostile party. A grim smile lighted his visage, when he found that, in point of numbers, his own band was greatly the superior. Notwithstanding this advantage, however, there were other points of inequality, which would probably have a tendency to render his success in the approaching conflict exceedingly doubtful. His people were the inhabitants of a more northern and less hospitable region than their enemies, and were far from being rich in that species of property, horses, and arms, which constitutes the most highly prized wealth of a western Indian. The band in view was mounted to a man, and as it had come so far to rescue or to revenge their greatest partisan, he had no reason to doubt its being composed entirely of braves. On the other hand, many of his followers were far better in a hunt than in a combat, men who might serve to divert the attention of his foes, but from whom he could expect little desperate service. Still, his flashing eye glanced over a body of warriors on whom he had often relied, and who had never deceived him. And though, in the precise position in which he found himself, he felt no disposition to precipitate the conflict, he certainly would have had no intention to avoid it, had not the presence of his women and children placed the option altogether in the power of his adversaries. 
On the other hand, the Pawnees, so unexpectedly successful in their first and greatest object, manifested no intention to drive matters to an issue. The river was a dangerous barrier to pass, in the face of a determined foe, and it would now have been in perfect accordance with their cautious policy, to have retired for a season, in order that their onset might be made in the hours of darkness and of seeming security. But there was a spirit in their chief that elevated him, for the moment, above the ordinary expedients of savage warfare. His bosom burned with the desire to wipe out that disgrace of which he had been the subject, and it is possible that he believed the retiring camp of the Sioux contained a prize that began to have a value in his eyes, far exceeding any that could be found in fifty Teton scalps. Let that be as it might, Hardheart had no sooner received the brief congratulations of his band, and communicated to the chiefs such facts as were important to be known, than he prepared himself to act such a part in the coming conflict as would at once maintain his well-earned reputation and gratify his secret wishes. A led horse, one that had been of long trained in the hunts, had been brought to receive his master with but little hope that his services would ever be needed again in this life. With a delicacy and consideration that prove how much the generous qualities of the youth had touched the feelings of his people, a bow, a lance, and a quiver were thrown across the animal, which it had been intended to emulate on the grave of the young brave. A species of care that would have superseded the necessity for the pious duty that the trapper had pledged himself to perform. Though Hardheart was sensible of the kindness of his warriors, and believed that a chief, furnished with such appointments, might depart with credit for the distant hunting-grounds of the master of life, he seemed equally disposed to think that they might be rendered quite as useful in the actual state of things. His countenance lighted with stern pleasure as he tried the elasticity of the bow, and poised the well-balanced spear. The glance he bestowed on the shield was more cursory and indifferent, but the exultation with which he threw himself on the back of his favored war-horse was so great as to break through the forms of Indian reserve. He rode to and fro among his scarcely less delighted warriors, managing the animal with a grace and address that no artificial rules can ever supply, at times flourishing his lance as if to assure himself of his seat, and at others examining critically into the condition of the fusee, with which he had also been furnished with the fondness of one who was miraculously restored to the possession of treasures that constituted his pride and his happiness. At this particular moment, Matori, having completed the necessary arrangements, prepared to make a more decisive movement. The Teton had found no little embarrassment in disposing of his captives. The tents of the squatter were still in sight, and his wary cunning did not fail to apprise him that it was quite as necessary to guard against an attack from that quarter as to watch the motions of his more open and more active foes. His first impulse had been to make the tomahawk suffice for the men and to trust the females under the same protection as the women of his band. But the manner in which many of his braves continued to regard the imaginary medicine of the long knives forewarned him of the danger of so hazardous an experiment on the eve of a battle. It might be deemed the omen of defeat. In this dilemma he motioned to a superannuated warrior, to whom he had confided the charge of the non-combatants, and leading him apart, he placed a finger significantly on his shoulder, as he said, in a tone in which authority was tempered by confidence. When my young men are striking the Pawnees, give the women knives. Enough. My father is very old. He does not want to hear wisdom from a boy. 
The grim old savage returned a look of ferocious assent, and then the mind of the chief appeared to be at rest on this important subject. From that moment he bestowed all his care on the achievement of his revenge, and the maintenance of his martial character. Throwing himself on his horse, he made a sign with the air of a prince to his followers, to imitate his example, interrupting without ceremony the war-songs and solemn rites by which many among them were stimulating their spirits to deeds of daring. When all were in order, the whole moved with great steadiness and silence towards the margin of the river. The hostile bands were now separated by the water. The width of the stream was too great to admit of the use of the ordinary Indian missiles, but a few useless shots were exchanged from the fusees of the chiefs, more in bravado than with any expectation of doing execution. As some time was suffered to elapse in demonstrations and abortive efforts, we shall leave them for that period to return to such of our characters as remain in the hands of the savages. We have shed much ink in vain, and wasted queries that might possibly have been better employed, if it be necessary now to tell the reader that few of the foregoing movements escaped the observation of the experienced trapper. He had been, in common with the rest, astonished at the sudden act of Hardheart, and there was a single moment when a feeling of regret and mortification got the better of his longings to save the life of the youth. The simple and well-intentioned old man would have felt, at witnessing any failure of firmness on the part of a warrior who had so strongly excited his sympathies, the same species of sorrow that a Christian parent would suffer in hanging over the dying moments of an impious child. But when, instead of an impotent and unmanly struggle for existence, he found that his friend had forborne, with the customary and dignified submission of an Indian warrior, until an opportunity had offered to escape, and that he had then manifested the spirit and decision of the most gifted brave, his gratification became nearly too powerful to be concealed. In the midst of the wailing and commotion which succeeded the death of Wuka and the escape of the captive, he placed himself nigh the persons of his white associates, with a determination of interfering, at every hazard, should the fury of the savages take that direction. The appearance of the hostile band spared him, however, so desperate and probably so fruitless an effort, and left him to pursue his observations, and to mature his plans more at leisure. He particularly remarked that, while by far the greater part of the women and all the children, together with the effects of the party, were hurried to the rear, probably with an order to secrete themselves in some of the adjacent woods, the tent of the Matori himself was left standing, and its contents undisturbed. Two chosen horses, however, stood nearby, held by a couple of youths who were too young to go into the conflict, and yet of an age to understand the management of the beast. The trapper perceived in this arrangement the reluctance of Matori to trust his newly found flowers beyond the reach of his eye, and, at the same time, his forethought in providing against a reverse of fortune. Neither had the manner of the Teton in giving his commission to the old savage, nor the fierce pleasure with which the latter had received the bloody charge, escaped his observation. From all these mysterious movements, the old man was aware that a crisis was at hand, and he summoned the utmost knowledge he had acquired in so long a life to aid him in the desperate conjuncture. While musing on the means to be employed, the doctor again attracted his attention to himself by a piteous appeal for assistance venerable trapper or as i may now say liberator commenced the dolores obed 
it would seem that a fitting time has at length arrived to dissever the unnatural and altogether irregular connection which exists between my inferior members and the body of a sinus. Perhaps if such a portion of my limbs were released as might leave me master of the remainder, and this favourable opportunity were suitably improved by making a forced march towards the settlements, all hopes of preserving the treasures of knowledge of which I am the unworthy receptacle would not be lost. The importance of the results is surely worth the hazard of the experiment. I know not, I know not, returned the deliberate old man. The vermin and reptiles which you bear about you were intended by the Lord for the prairies, and I see no good in sending them into regions that may not suit their natures. And moreover, you may be of great and particular use as you now sit on thy ass, though it creates no wonder in my mind to perceive that you are ignorant of it, seeing that usefulness is altogether a new calling to so bookish a man. Of what service can I be in this painful thraldom in which the animal functions are in a manner suspended, and the spiritual or intellectual blinded by the secret sympathy that unites mind to matter? There is likely to be blood spilt between yonder adverse hosts of heathens, and, though but little desiring the office, it would be better that I should employ myself in surgical experiments than in thus wasting the precious moments, mortifying both soul and body. It is little that a redskin would care to have a physician at his hurts, while the whoop is ringing in his ears. Patience is a virtue in an Indian, and can be no shame to a Christian white man. Look at these hags of squalls, friend doctor. I have no judgment in savage tempers, if they are not bloody-minded and ready to work their accursed pleasures on us all. Now, so long as you keep upon the ass, and maintain the fierce look, which is far from being your natural gift, fear of so great a medicine may serve to keep down their courage. I am placed here like a general at the opening of the battle, and it has become my duty to make such use of all my force as, in my judgment, each is best fitted to perform. If I know these niceties, you will be more serviceable for your countenance just now than in any more stirring exploits. Harky, old trapper! shouted Paul, whose patience could no longer maintain itself under the calculating and prolix explanations of the other. Suppose you cut two things I can name short off, that is to say, your conversation, which is agreeable enough over a well-baked buffalo's hump, and these damnable thongs of hide, which, according to my experience, can be pleasant nowhere. A single stroke of your knife would be of more service just now than the longest speech that was ever made in a Kentucky courthouse. Aye, courthouses are the happy hunting grounds, as a redskin would say, for them that are born with gifts no better than such as lie in the tongue. I was carried into one of the lawless holes myself once, and it was all about a thing of no more value than the skin of a deer. The Lord forgive them, the Lord forgive them. They knew no better, and they did according to their weak judgments, and therefore the more are they to be pitied. And yet it was a solemn sight to see an aged man, who had always lived in the air, laid neck and heels by the law, and held up as a spectacle for the women and boys of a wasteful settlement to point their fingers at. If such be your opinions of confinement, honest friend, you had better manifest the same by putting us at liberty with as little delay as possible, said Middleton, who, like his companion, began to find the tardiness of his often-tried companion quite as extraordinary as it was disagreeable. I should greatly like to do the same, especially in your behalf, Captain, who, being a soldier, might find not only pleasure but profit in examining more at your ease 
into the circumventions and cutting of an Indian fight. As to our friend here, it is a but little matter how much of this affair he examines, or how little, seeing that a bee is not to be overcome in the same manner as an Indian. Old man, this trifling with our misery is inconsiderate, to give it a name no harsher. Ay, your grandfather was of a hot and hurrying mind, and one must not expect that the young of a panther will crawl the larth like the litter of a porcupine. Now keep you both silent, and what I say shall have the appearance of being spoken concerning the movements that are going on in the bottom, all of which will serve to put jealousy to sleep, and to shut the eyes of such as rarely close them on wickedness and cruelty. In the first place, then, you must know that I have reason to think yonder treacherous Teton has left an order to put us all to death, so soon as he thinks the deed may be done secretly and without tumult. Great heaven! Will you suffer us to be butchered like unresisting sheep? Hiss, Captain, hiss! A hot temper is none of the best, when cunning is more needed than blows. Ah, the Pawnee is a noble boy. It would do your heart good to see how he draws off from the river, in order to invite his enemies to cross, and yet, according to my failing sight, they count two warriors to his one. But as I was saying, little good comes of haste and thoughtlessness. The facts are so plain that any child may see into their wisdom, the savages of many minds, as to the manner of our treatment. Some fear us for cower, and would gladly let us go, and other some would show us the mercy that the doe receives from the hungry wolf. When opposition gets fairly into the councils of a tribe, it is rarely that humanity is the gainer. Now see you these wrinkled and cruel-minded squaws? No, you cannot see them as you would lie, but nevertheless they are here, ready and willing, like so many raging she-bears, to work their will upon us so soon as the proper time shall come. Hark ye, old gentleman trapper, interrupted Paul, with a little bitterness in his manner. Do you tell us these matters for our amusement or for your own? If for ours, you may keep your breath for the next race you run, as I am tickled nearly to suffocation already with my part of the fun. Hiss, said the trapper, cutting with great dexterity and rapidity the thong, which bound one of the arms of Paul to his body, and dropping his knife at the same time within reach of the liberated hand. Hiss, boy, hiss. That was a lucky moment. The yell from the bottom drew the eyes of these bloodsuckers in another quarter, and so far we are safe. Now, make a proper use of your advantages, but be careful that what you do is done without being seen. Thank you for this small favor, old deliberation, muttered the bee-hunter, though it comes like a snow in May, somewhat out of season. Foolish boy, reproachfully exclaimed the other, who had moved to a little distance from his friends, and appeared to be attentively regarding the movements of the hostile parties. Will you never learn to know the wisdom of patience? And you too, Captain, though a man myself, that seldom ruffles his temper by vain feelings, I see that you are silent, because you scorn to ask favors any longer from one you think too slow to grant them. No doubt ye are both young and filled with the pride of your strength and manhood, and I dare say you thought it only needful to cut the thongs to leave you masters of the ground. But he that has seen much is apt to think much. Had I run like a bustling woman to have given you freedom, these hags of the Sioux would have seen the same, and then where would you both have found yourselves? Under the tomahawk and the knife, like helpless and outcrying children, though gifted with the size and beards of men. Ask our friend, the bee-hunter, in what condition he finds himself to struggle with a Teton boy, after so many hours of bondage. 
much less with a dozen merciless and bloodthirsty squaws. "'Truly, old trapper,' returned Paul, stretching his limbs, which were by this time entirely released, and endeavouring to restore the suspended circulation. "'You have some judgmental notions in these matters. Now, here am I, Paul Hover, a man who will give in to few at wrestle or race, nearly as hapless as the day I paid my first visit to the house of old Paul, who is dead and gone. The Lord forgive him any little blunders he may have made while he tarried in Kentucky.' Now there is my foot on the ground, so far as eyesight has any virtue, and yet it would take no great temptation to make me swear it didn't touch the earth by six inches. I say, honest friend, since you have done so much, have the goodness to keep these damnable squalls, of whom you say so many interesting things, at a little distance, till I have got the blood of this arm in motion, and am ready to receive them. The trapper made a sign that he perfectly understood the case, and he walked towards the superannuated savage who began to manifest an intention of commencing his assigned task, leaving the bee-hunter to recover the use of his limbs as well as he could, and to put Middleton in a similar situation to defend himself. Matori had not mistaken his man in selecting the one he did to execute his bloody purpose. He had chosen one of those ruthless savages, more or less of whom are to be found in every tribe, who had purchased a certain share of military reputation, by the exhibition of a hardihood that found its impulses in an innate love of cruelty. Contrary to the high and chivalrous sentiment which among the Indians of the prairies renders it a deed of even greater merit to bear off the trophy of victory from a fallen foe than to slay him, he had been remarkable for preferring the pleasure of destroying life to the glory of striking the dead. While the more self-devoted and ambitious braves were intent on personal honor, he had always been seen, established behind some favorable cover, depriving the wounded of hope, by finishing that which a more gallant warrior had begun. In all the cruelties of the tribe he had ever been foremost, and no Sioux was so uniformly found on the side of merciless counsels. He had awaited, with an impatience which his long-practiced restraint could with difficulty subdue, for the moment to arrive when he might proceed to execute the wishes of the great chief, without whose approbation and powerful protection he would not have dared to undertake a step that had so many opposers in the nation. But events had been hastening to an issue between the hostile parties, and the time had now arrived, greatly to his secret and malignant joy, when he was free to act his will. The trapper found him distributing knives to the ferocious hags, who received the presents chanting a low, monotonous song that recalled the losses of their people in various conflicts with the whites, and which extolled the pleasures and glory of revenge. The appearance of such a group was enough of itself to have deterred one less accustomed to such sights than the old man from trusting himself within the circle of their wild and repulsive rites. Each of the crones, as she received the weapon, commenced a slow and measured but ungainly step around the savage, until the whole were circling him in a sort of magic dance. The movements were timed in some degree by the words of their songs, as were their gestures by the ideas. When they spoke of their own losses, they tossed their long straight locks of grey into the air, or suffered them to fall in confusion upon the withered necks, but as the sweetness of returning blow for blow was touched upon, by any among them it was answered by a common howl, as well as by gestures that were sufficiently expressive of the manner in which they were exciting themselves to the necessary state of fury. 
Into the very centre of this ring of seeming demons, the trapper now stalked, with the same calmness and observation as he would have walked into a village church. No other change was made by his appearance than a renewal of the threatening gestures, with, if possible, a still less equivocal display of their remorseless intentions. Making a sign for them to cease, the old man demanded, Why do the mothers of the Tetons sing with bitter tongues? The Pawnee prisoners are not yet in their village. The young men have not come back loaded with scalps. He was answered by a general howl, and a few of the boldest of the Furies even ventured to approach him, flourishing their knives within a dangerous proximity of his own steady eyeballs. It is a warrior, you see, and no runner of the long knives, whose face grows paler at the sight of a tomahawk, returned the trapper, without moving a muscle. Let the Sioux women think, if one white-skin dies, a hundred spring up where he falls. Still, the hags made no other answer, than by increasing their speed in the circle, and occasionally raising the threatening expressions of their chant, into louder and more intelligible strains. Suddenly, one of the oldest, and the most ferocious of them all, broke out of the ring and skirted away in the direction of her victims, like a rapacious bird, that having wheeled on poised wings, for the time necessary to ensure its object, makes the final dart upon its prey. The others followed a disorderly and screaming flock, fearful of being too late to reap their position of the sanguinary pleasure. "'Mighty medicine of my people!' shouted the old man in the Teton tongue. "'Lift your voice and speak, that the Sioux nation may hear!' Whether Asinus had acquired so much knowledge by his recent experience as to know the value of his sonorous properties, or the strange spectacle of a dozen hags flitting past him, filling the air with such sounds as were even grating to the ears of an ass, most moved his temper. It is certain that the animal did that which Obed had requested to do, and probably with far greater effect than if the naturalist had strove with his mightiest effort to be heard. It was the first time the strange beast had spoken since his arrival in the encampment. Admonished by so terrible a warning, the hags scattered themselves, like vultures frightened from their prey, still screaming and but half diverted from their purpose. In the meantime the sudden appearance, and the imminency of the danger, quickened the blood in the veins of Paul and Middleton more than all their laborious frictions and physical expedients. The former had actually risen to his feet and assumed an attitude which perhaps threatened more than the worthy bee-hunter was able to perform and even the latter had mounted to his knees, and shown a disposition to do good service for his life. The unaccountable release of the captives from their bonds was attributed by the hags to the incantations of the medicine, and the mistake was probably of as much service as the miraculous and timely interposition of Asinus in their favour. "'Now is the time to come out of our ambushment,' exclaimed the old man, hastening to join his friends, "'and to make open and manful war.' It would have been policy to have kept back the struggle, until the captain was in better condition to join, but as we have unmasked our battery, why we must maintain the ground, he was interrupted by feeling a gigantic hand on his shoulder. Turning, under a sort of confused impression that necromancy was actually abroad in the place, he found that he was in the hands of a sorcerer no less dangerous and powerful than Ishmael Bush. The file of the squatter's well-armed sons that was seen issuing from behind the still-standing tent of Matori, explained at once not only the manner in which their rear had been turned, while their attention had been so earnestly bestowed on matters in front, but the utter impossibility of resistance. 
neither Ishmael nor his sons deemed it necessary to enter into prolix explanations. Middleton and Paul were bound again, with extraordinary silence and dispatch, and this time not even the aged trapper was exempt from a similar fortune. The tent was struck, the females placed upon the horses, and the whole were on the way towards the squatter's encampment, with a celerity that might well have served to keep alive the idea of magic. During this summary and brief disposition of things, the disappointed agent of Matori and his callous associates were seen flying across the plain in the direction of the retiring families, and when Ishmael left the spot with his prisoners and his booty, the ground, which had so lately been alive with the bustle and life of an extensive Indian encampment, was as still and empty as any other spot in those extensive wastes. End of chapter 29